0: All right. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and social media are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Welcome, welcome to, to Nothing Happens, Happens in a Small Town. town.
1: So we were talking a little bit this morning about (laughs) personality disorders, and I'm pretty sure my dog has one. (laughs) Oh my
0: God, that dog. So we had him sitting on our laps one episode, a couple episodes back, and it was so funny. He was fine. He was fine. He was Mm -hmm. fine. He went back and forth between our laps, and he's just like, this is the best thing ever. And then somewhere along the line, I picked him up, and he freaked the heck out. I'm like gonna die yeah yep and today today we're, we're sitting here well first he freaks out every time i come here i yes. have to say hello to dylan first that right. is a requirement yes and then so we come into the room and we're sitting here and he's sitting like one butt cheek on my arm <laughs> licking himself and kind of sort of growling and i'm like mm. yeah then he looks me and you're like dude you're just weird
1: he is weird He's very weird. He is very special. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we're like, yeah, no, he continues to have to be sent into exile while we do
1: this because yes. it's just too much between him trying to figure out who he wants to sit on for Five minutes, you know, until he's he scoots switch. to the other. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is, we then have to close the window. Yes, because that's TV and, you know, dogs, people, whatever he must bark at. And, it's you know. Just-
0: too disruptive as cute as he is yeah he's just impossible to work with
1: he is and we were talking
0: about that sh- <laughs> so melissa was working on writing this morning yes. and dealing with him running all the head and i'm like yeah um i was just dealing with the cat show at my house my cat cats are crazy too mm-hmm. it's just the animal thing yes i mean uh- one of m- formerly Melissa's yes. cats, now mine. I name, uh, his, He's been renamed Chicken because he is a chicken. <laughs> and he will steal chicken from your plate and beg and all that stuff. I think because he was dumped behind a McDonald's. Yes, he, he
1: loves McDonald's french fries. Yeah, he's Craziest a french thing.
0: fry of anything potato. Yes. There was a time that I had m- our friend Michelle over to visit. And he just stole tater tots off my plate as I went into the kitchen to go grab something else. She's like, um... Excuse me? Your cat is eating tater tots. Is that normal? Eh, probably no, not. Probably but... not. And my my oldest uh, great niece, um, she was allergic to the regular formula, so mm-hmm. whatever specialized formula she was on, baby formula, um, made her smell like potatoes. All the other cats wanted nothing to do with human larvae, but chicken was sidled up next to her, like, yeah, you smell good. <laughs>
1: Animals. Yes. Yeah. They are crazy, that's for sure. We both
0: had our entertainment trying to get things done. Like, I was trying to add some extra things to this episode, and I had one cat standing in front of me on my table, half trying to sit on my computer keyboard, and you're like, yeah, that doesn't work, honey. (laughs) And then Chicken kept, he does this thing where he like, I, I call it birthing, he tries to birth himself under the table I have my computer on, and shove himself between my stomach and the table, and you're like, dude, this doesn't work.
1: Yeah. And he wants to rest his chin on my arm. Like Uh Yeah, I can't type like that, bud. Dylan does the same thing. He (laughs) likes to rest his head on your arm and he wants he always wants to be on a lap. And so I'd gotten this little um like I don't know what you would call that. It's yeah, it's a little bench and then I put his bed and his favorite blanket on top of it. And that way he can look out the window. And I mean, granted, that keeps him entertained, but it also like example this morning somebody <laughs> with a dog walked by and then he scooby-doos his way out of the room, making so much noise barking going crazy i'm like you got 15 oh, minutes of you. silence followed
0: by 10 yes. 15 30 minutes of dog insanity barking <laughs> yeah yeah animals They're great. They actually are supposedly good for your health and everything. I should be the healthiest person
1: ever. (laughs) But at the same time, they can definitely cause some stress. It's It's like, oh, my gosh. Drive you nuts. Yes. And, uh, well, that kind of leads us into today's episode. And uh, Mr. Bully of Toulon, who... And oh, it seems to have some personality issues going on himself. Yeah. So this is part two
0: because we decided it just takes too long to tell this story. Yes. Um, so to give a quick recap, um, this is about Curtis Thompson. On March 22nd, 2002, he went on a murderous rampage, beginning by killing Deputy Sheriff. Adam Stryker, I can speak, when the deputy knocked on his door to serve a bench warrant. He then stole the police cruiser and murdered his arch-nemeses, Jim and Janet Giesenhagen. He planned to kill more people on his hit list, but thankfully, Joe Tracy and his wife were out of town having dinner. He ran the cruiser into the vehicle of another person that he disliked. That person, when they saw Kurt, uh, Kurt they just went oh crap and ran away they got out of their truck and ran away smart (laughs) Um, person yeah kurt was apprehended by other police vehicles which um as we talked about toulon's very small
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: basically adam was the only person on duty in the town for most of the county and it took a while for other police vehicles to respond because they're just not that close right so he was apprehended by other police vehicles before he was able to kill additional people he did get in a shootout with the police nobody else was killed nobody else was even wounded except for him right right yeah i'm sorry i'm like blanking you'd think if i wrote this recap i would actually include that piece but you know (laughs) who needs words who needs thoughts it's definitely been a day um In part one of this episode, we gave some history of Toulon, talked about feuds and bullies. It is very obvious to the two of us that Curtis was a heck of a bully. Mm -hmm. He seemingly bullied anyone who didn't acquiesce to him. And he liked, I I truly feel, he liked to feel superior. Um, It seems um, those who described him as very generous, we came to our own conclusion that he he did like to make people feel indebted to him so that he could do as he wished and you know they would be ingratiated and he responded strongly to even the smallest slight and would torment stalk and bully these people he held grudges seemingly forever with no ability to turn anger into acceptance once you were on his bad side there was no way out Mm -mm. and he would torment you including a sheriff even Yes. That just, it blows my mind. Tensions grew for years, but people just gave the advice to turn the other cheek, leave him alone. You know how Kurt is, <laughs> but how, how do you leave someone alone when they stalk you? It's kind of impossible. Mm-hmm. And anything that you try to do to, you know, get yourself away from him in a police or other lawful way just pissed him off more and with no one willing or able to do anything about him because i'm not going to say that some people were they did stuff but they weren't able right. to get him, you know, taken care of. The simple act of serving a search warrant sparked his rage for one final murderous evening.
1: And it's just wow. It really is. So, in the aftermath of Kurt going to the hospital and being arrested, Uh, A month after the murders, he was taken to the Stark County Courthouse to enter pleas in the 30-count indictment against him. Under heavy guard and wearing an old-fashioned gray-and-white striped prisoner's jumpsuit, he walked deliberately into the courtroom, making eye contact with no one. Ashley Gisenhagen, seated in the back of the room, began sobbing at the sight of Thompson. As the prosecutor read the indictment, many questions arose. Why hadn't the sheriff's dispatcher called an ambulance immediately? Why had a rookie deputy tried on his own to serve a five-month-old warrant on a Friday night to a man known to be violent? Why hadn't law enforcement prosecuted Thompson if he had violated court protective orders? Had the police been afraid of Thompson? Yes. Had the (laughs) state's attorney done enough to stop him? No. Thompson, through his lawyer, pleaded not guilty to all charges. Yeah, not guilty of killing three people. Okay. Yeah. The proceedings lasted about 30 minutes. After he was unshackled from a table, Thompson walked toward the door as he had entered slowly and without expression. Just before leaving, he briefly turned toward the public who had packed the courthouse and stared. Yeah. Well, the whole pleading
0: guilty thing, that's just procedural. Yeah. I know. It's just, it it bugs me because I know a person that, uh, you know, they... Growing up in our hometown There was mm-hmm. a friend of ours that Had some trouble with the law um, But very minor things not Not huge Right but when dealing with the whole pleading piece of it, guilty versus not guilty, it's like, well, I did those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's procedural. And that just messed them all up. Not knowing that piece. Mm-hmm. Actually, I wonder how differently things would have turned out for them if they'd been like, well, yeah, I, of course I did that. Because right. these other things, how am I supposed to get to work without having a license when you live in the middle of freaking nowhere? Yeah. But yeah, anyhow, so don't plead guilty guilty unless you really are okay with the fact that you need to go to jail like immediately.
1: Yeah. Anyhow, that's public service <laughs> announcement, sorry. So, now we are at the trial. Emergency Medical Technician Mike Jezerski st- that's a name. Yep. Uh, testif- <laughs> and sorry if we butchered it. Yes. Apologies. Testified that he was dispatched to the Giesenhagen home after receiving a call of a multiple shooting incident. Upon arrival... Jazerski found james Giesenhagen had a large amount of blood around his head and had no pulse and was not breathing after determining that james was beyond medical help Jazerski turned to janet and found that her hand was amputated at the wrist and she had suffered multiple puncture wounds to her upper to- torso dang this section I'm calling Mr. Hyde. So if you know of Jekyll and Hyde, Hyde was the crazy one. <laughs> Hyde was the murderous, scary one. Yeah. Jason Rice testified that on the night of the murders, he was driving home after having dinner with his parents. As Jason drove through town, a squad car deliberately collided with his truck. When Jason exited his truck to check the damage, he recognized Kurt sitting in the squad car. Jason was afraid of Kurt from his past experience with him. Jason explained that he used to live next door to Kurt, and Kurt had a habit of glaring and trying to intimidate people in town. Sometimes Kurt would follow Jason through the town in his vehicle. On one occasion in August 2001, some people were spinning tire their tires on the road near Jason's home.
0: We would call that burning out. Yeah. That just sounds so weird, spinning tires. Whatever. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt- it's just it's what was in the transcript. So. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Kurt came over to Jason's front porch and blamed him for the incident. Kurt then threatened Jason with a club and told Jason that he would bury him in a pine box. Yikes. Thus, on the night of March 22, 2002, Jason fled the scene of the collision with the squad car when he saw Kurt sitting inside of it. Smart. Uh Uh-huh. On cross-examination, Jason admitted that he had lit off a bottle rocket near Kurt's house before Kurt came to Jason's porch on the night of their encounter in August 2001.
0: Yeah, well, but the guy supposedly came over to freak at him because of the burning out. Yeah. So, man, whatever. Bottle rockets. They're not that that bad. It's not like the M-80 description that they made for the shotgun blast.
1: I mean, let's face it neighbors make noise. It yes. just happens. You kind of deal
0: with it or you move to a place with not very many close neighbors. Yeah. I don't know anybody like that. <laughs> I don't live in a neighborhood.
1: Lee Ellington, a nurse at St. Francis Hospital in Peoria, Illinois, testified that Kurt was a patient patient in her care on March 30th, 2002, 8 days after the murders. At one point that day, Kurt admitted that he had shot the victims. The next day, Kurt told Lee that he didn't mean to shoot the woman. All she had to do was put per- a tourniquet on her arm, but the bitch died anyway. And sorry, there is some cussing throughout this. I am reading testimony. Uh, and, and
0: we also cuss a little bit. But, a little, yeah, yeah. but not a lot. This we try guy, to keep it
1: uh, yeah. semi-clean. I Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> I might be worse. There you <laughs> go. Kurt also said that a lot more people were going to get it when he got out. Later on the same day, Kurt told Lee that he was sorry the child had to see it, but all she had to do was close her eyes. I just uh, I, this
0: guy, I can't.
1: She's she's what like 10, eight, eight, ten something. I don't. I, I, yeah. I don't know.
0: I don't think we have that because we had it in the first episode.
1: We right. Have to go look. But she was young. I yeah. mean, and. and to have your parent killed in front of your face, That's, of course you uh,
0: when a guy comes down the stairs at you with a gun, you're gonna close your eyes. sure
1: that uh, I, um, I know. sorry Kurt, Kurt was not a, under any medication when he made these statements. Angela Smith, a nurse at St. Francis Hospital who cared for Kurt the following Bull. following the shootings, testified that Kurt told her. He didn't know what the big deal was and that he had done nothing wrong. Kurt uh, also told Smith that he had suffered for 30 years, but the victims had only suffered for 30 minutes.
0: Wow. um, You're so kind. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't just, <laughs> I can't
1: with these statements. Ugh. Jerry Abbott. I guess so sorry, again, if I'm mispronouncing a name here, testified that he has has owned a grocery store in Toulon for the past 15 years. About six months before the murders, he saw Kurt threatening Tracy at the store. Jerry put his hand on Kurt's shoulder and told him to take it outside. Kurt responded by telling Jerry not to push him. After the incident, Kurt's behavior toward Jerry completely changed. About a month later, Kurt drove up to Jerry and yelled profanities at him. Kurt wanted to fight, so Jerry told him to get out of the truck and go for it. But Kurt continued yelling and threatening until the police came five minutes later. This kind of behavior continued to the point where every time Kurt saw Jerry, he would swear at him and want to fight. About two weeks before the murders, Kurt stopped his truck in front of the store and said to Jerry, if you're a man enough, follow me to the farm and I will kill you and nobody will find you there anyway. Real charmer
0: here. Again, it's like, oh, you you, you tried to hold him back or, you know, tell him not to do this in your place of business. Mm-hmm. You're dead to him now.
1: Yes. Wow. Julian Hickman testified that he worked with Kurt from 1969 until 1985, although Kurt was a hard worker and he was bitter and he did not like authority. When Julian became Kurt's boss, Kurt's attitude toward him did not change much. One time, Kurt brought Julian's handicapped daughter a present while he was dressed as Santa Claus. Again, the whole Mr. Jekyll... Jekyll Jekyll Yeah, Jekyll and Hyde syndrome going on here. On cross-examination, Julian stated that Kurt was fired nine different times from his job within the mining company, but he was able to get it back each time because of union roles. Wow. Kurt raised an insanity defense. Kurt presented the testimony of a number of witnesses, along with two mental health experts, Dr. John Ray and Robert Chapman, to support his defense. The state presented the psychiatric testimony of Dr. Andrew Kowalski. Sure,
0: Kowalkowski. Sure.
1: again. Cow, cow, we dad. are so sorry, doctor Kowalski. Cowl-Kowski. Yeah. Uh, to rebut the defense. The defense called clinical psychologist John Day, who testified that he conducted a psycho- psychological assessment of Kurt using two tests. The Minnesota Multiphasic mm-hmm. uh, Multiphasic Multiphasic Personality Inventory the million clinical multi axial. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I looked
0: these up. I did a little research. We'll talk about that in the next break.
1: Inventory. The first addresses is clinical issues, the second, personality issues. Kurt had elevated scores on the MCMI in paranoid. Ideation. Ideation, depression, and avoidance of social situations. Day explained that Kurt is not psychotic by any means, but just has a different frame of reference than a typical person. Day also testified that Kurt discussed the murders with him during his evaluation. According to Day, Kurt claimed that when the deputy came to serve the warrant, he entered through the door with a gun in hand and ordered Kurt to put his shirt on. Kurt told Day that he knew that as part of his probation, he had been ordered to pay $15 a month for six to eight months, at which time the court would review his compliance in paying the fine. He also knew that he had not paid the required monthly payments and that the court had reviewed his noncompliance. When the officer, officer came to his door, Kurt had a shotgun sitting on a toolbox nearby. Kurt picked it up, and the deputy went back out the door. Kurt then went out the door with the shotgun. Kurt claimed that he shot the deputy because he believed the deputy was going to shoot him first as he had pointed a gun at Kurt's chest. I kind of don't. kind of don't believe so, mm because, you know,
0: the neighbor's account of how fast it occurred. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. Uh, I have a hard time believing this guy based on other statements. Right. Sorry.
1: <laughs> After shooting <laughs> the sorry. deputy, Kurt went back inside and put his shirt on. When he came outside, the de- he took the deputy's gun and squad car. He then went to the Giesenhagen's home because he already had a deputy, so why not get them? Kurt wanted J- Janet Giesenhagen to remember all the pain she had caused him when she sued him in the dog bite case. Even though he had prevailed on the merits, it cost him 20000 in legal bills, and the Gies and Higgins had been thumbing their nose at him for 15 years. Kirk claimed that he did not intend to kill them. He only wanted to maim them.
0: Yeah, so you I shoot a guy in the face? face. With a
1: shotgun. Yeah. You take
0: off his jaw. I'm sorry, that's not how that works. Uh, no, no.
1: After shooting the Giesenhagens, Kurt drove through town, and police eventually caught up with him. He exchanged gunfire and ended up wounded in the head. Kurt concluded his rendition by telling Day that, I am supposed to be such a badass that people wanted to try to get me upset, but I never swatted a fine unless it shit on me first.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. That just... Wow, that's a very colorful way of saying I never did anything first. But he takes a small slight and just goes to the nth degree. Because, like, if you remember the dog bite, at first all they'd asked, they weren't going to take him to court, right. just pay for the kid's hospital bill. Right. And he refused, and he's like, "Oh, the kid did it to himself." Mm-hmm. So that that was his. He's never wrong. Yes. And he's so nice, but don't cross him, or he is not nice at all. Yeah. Because apparently that minor cross, whatever it is, holding his shoulder and telling him not to take something outside and not in your store is
1: shitting on him. Mm-hmm. Nice. Anyhow. Day believed that Kurt was suffering from two disorders, a delusional disorder of a persecute, persecutor, persecute.
0: Per- 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 persecutory i can't even speak I, now too. Okay. i'm trying to help that word i suck <laughs> persecutory
1: i can Sorry. do words oh my yeah. god and paranoid. i'm so embarrassed of myself <laughs> I, believe me i'm messing up on all of them i'm just like i can't i can't needs words?
0: oh my gosh you would think we would get better at this <laughs> we just seem to continue to be silly Hopefully, our listeners don't
1: mind too much. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And uh, paranoid personality disorder. Day concluded that on the day of the crimes, Kurt suffered from a mental disease, delusional disorder of a... uh, That word again? Persecutory type. Type that prevented him from appreciating the criminality of his conduct. On cross-examination, Day admitted that he had never asked Kurt such specific things as who was conspiring against him, who was harassing or maligning him, how they were doing it, or what his long-term goals were. Day explained that he did not ask Kurt to elaborate on these matters because this would have ruined their rapport and he would have made Kurt suspicious. Day further emphasized that he did not ask about the specifics of Kurt's beliefs because making his diagnosis, he needed only to focus on the themes of how Kurt sees the world, not the yes or no facts. He was not concerned with determining if there was a rational basis for believing that there was a conspiracy against Kurt. Instead, he was concerned only with the behavioral patterns that would be interpreted back into his personality style. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh Uh-huh. Whatever that's about. Exactly. All right. So
0: personality disorders. Both of the breaks are going to be about this because there's a lot on display here. I went to the Google machine, imagine that, and first wanted to look up multiple personality disorder because Melissa had said that the last time, geez, does he have a mer- uh, multiple personality disorder, split personality disorder, I got the same result for both, dissociative identity disorder, or DID is a mental health condition. Someone with did has multiple distinct personalities. The various identities control a person's behavior at different times. The condition can cause memory loss, delusions, or depression. Dissociative identity disorder is usually caused by past past trauma. Yeah, so this one doesn't fit. But it is kind of sort of what people would initially think when they hear this. He has two different ways of being. But it's not two different distinct people in his brain, if you will. So it's more behavioral than distinct personalities. It's kind of like you he identifies one person is good, one person is bad. Not that he has two different people inside him. Right. So let's at a, like a, the terms that have been bandied about thus far. Um, Dr. Day performed psychological assessment of Kurt using the two tests, the multi- Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory and the Million Clinical Multiaxial Inventory. That first one, the MMPI, addresses clinical issues, the second, personality issues. So let's go into what they are. The Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory is a standardized psychometric test of adult personality and psycho- psychopathology. I was going to say psychopathy, but yeah, I missed a word there. Psychopathology. Psychologists and other mental health professionals use various versions of the MMPI to help develop treatment plans, assist with differential diagnosis, help answer legal questions such as forensic psychology, um, screen job candidates during the personnel selection process, or as part of a therapeutic assessment procedure. The MCMI The um, Million Clinical Multiaxial Inventory is a psychological assessment tool intended to provide information on personality traits and psychopathology, including different psychiatric disorders outlined in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition, known as the DSM-5. It is uh, intended for adults 18 and over, though there is like an adolescent version of this one. I don't know how good it is. Um, so 18 and over with at least a fifth grade reading level who are currently seeking mental health services. The MCMI was uh, developed and standardized specifically on clinical populations. That means patients in clinical settings or people with existing mental health problems. And the authors are very specific that it should not be used with the general population or adolescents However, there is evidence that shows that it may still retain validity on on non-clinical populations, and so psychologists will sometimes administer tests to members of the general population with caution. The concepts involved in the questioning and their presentation make it unsuitable for those with below average intelligence or reading ability. That's why they've got that fifth grade Hmm. reading ability. So this one is based on Theodore Millian, Millen's evolutionary theory. His theory is that one of many th- is one of many theories on personality. Briefly, the theory is divided into three core components, which Millen, Millen cited as representing the most basic motivations. These core components are, which each manifest in distinct polarities, if you will. Existence, so that the polarities are. On the positive side, pleasure. On the negative, pain. Adaptation. Passive or active. Reproduction. Self. Other. Furthermore, the the theory presents our personality as manifesting in three functional and structural domains, which are further divided into subdomains of behavioral. Oh, I love these words. Phenomenological. (laughs) Love this stuff. Intrapsychic. And biophysical. Um, Finally, this evolutionary theory outlines 15 personalities, each with a normal and abnormal presentation. Yeah, lots of words, lots of words, lots of words. Yeah, But it's just kind of, you know, maybe understand what these things that he administered are a little bit. So we said earlier that Kurt had elevated scores on MCMI in paranoid ideation, depression and avoidance of social situations. Dr. Day explained that Kurt is not psychotic by any means. Okay. It just has a different frame of reference. So he utilized the terms delusional disorder of a persecutory type and paranoid personality disorder. He opined that Kurt couldn't appreciate the criminality of his conduct people with this type of delusional disorder believe that they or someone close to them are being mistreated or that someone is spying on them or planning to harm them. It is not uncommon for people with this type of delusion disorder to make repeated complaints to legal authorities.
1: Eh, that kind of, of but it goes like, a
0: little further into it. Um, yeah. Cause this was from multiple sources I'm referencing here. Um, so the paranoid personality disorder is a mental illness characterized by paranoid dis- delusions, a pervasive long-s- long-standing suspiciousness, and generalized mistrust of others. That yeah, fits.
1: That, that fits. Um,
0: people with this personality disorder may be hypersensitive, easily insulted. Mm-hmm. Nah, you put your hand on him and suddenly you pushed
1: him. Pretty much. He gets insulted about anything you do Just about anything that you do
0: that isn't in line with what he wants you to do. Right. Yes. And habitually relate to the world by vigilant scanning of the environment for clues or suggestions that may validate their fears or biases. Mm,
1: Yeah, Uh, I I can see
0: that. They are eager observers. They think they are in danger and look for signs and threats of that danger, potentially not appreciating their interpretations or... (laughs) evidence (laughs) you give me a look it's like "Uh uh-huh yeah (laughs) yeah let's keep keep going with this paranoid personality disorder they tend to be guarded and suspicious and have quite constricted emotional lives their reduced capacity for meaningful emotional involvement and general pattern of isolated withdrawal often lend to a quality of schizoid isolation to their life experience People with PPD may have a tendency to bear grudges. <laughs> I like that that's the first one on this list. That one definitely fits in. <laughs> Suspiciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tendency to interpret others' actions as hostile. Oh, yeah. Persistent tendency to self-reference. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he said, I, 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 me, yeah, me, I, me. I, that didn't really come know. out. Or a tenacious sense of personal right. I can see that. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. Patients with this disorder can also have significant comorbidity with other personality disorders. Shocking. (laughs) Such as schizotypical, schizoid, narcissistic. Uh We know about narcissistic disorder. Avoidance and borderline. Hmm. So. Remember, Kurt claimed that he was the victim of harassment and abuse by the powers that be, which included authority figures such as the police or anyone with power over him. In Kurt's mind, there was a conspiracy against him with the ultimate goal of driving him away or killing him. And you're yeah. like, yeah, you're the one who did the killing, bud. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, this was just one of those. It was interesting. I, I thought about, and I actually did look up each of these other ones. I'm like, yeah, this would end up being the entire episode if I just kept <laughs> rolling with every psychiatric trait thrown at me.
1: Yeah. So back to the trial. Um psychiatrist Robert Chapman also testified during the trial. He determined from a review of Kurt's history that Kurt's mother was a self-centered and suspicious person who had abandoned Kurt at eight years old after his father had died. I admit that can kind of probably mess up a kid. But But
0: we don't know her actual... I don't know where he got this information from because we didn't find a lot on Mm -mm. the mom just that she left it when his dad died. And actually I think this was More or less the only time we had that reference.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. Um, Kurt then lived with a relative for a number of years. Kurt reported that he did not have any significant history of behavioral problems in school. He quit school after the 10th grade and married at the age of 17. No problems at school. No. Okay. He had three grown children who were all college educated. Kurt claimed that he was the victim of harassment and abuse by... The powers that be, which include authority figures such as police or anyone with power over him. In Kurt's mind, there was a conspiracy against him with the ultimate goal of driving him away or killing him. Chapman concluded that Kurt suffered from a delusional disorder Persecutory type. Thank you. I hate that word. Is just not loving you today. (laughs) No, not at all. Chapman rejected the diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder because he felt that Kurt did not meet the criteria, which required evidence of antisocial behavior in childhood, as well as criminal acts throughout his life that were designed to meet his own selfish ends. Chapman concluded that Kurt lacked substantial capacity to appreciate the criminality of his conduct on the date of the offenses. Chapman admitted that after his first interview with Kurt, he had no firm diagnosis, but had written down paranoid personality and did not delusional disorder. He explained that after he discussed the case with defense lawyers and Dr. Day and reviewed Day's findings, he went back to examine Kurt again to look for missing information. He further explained that he was not convinced at that point that Kurt had an organized delusional system in place. So as to rule out the diagnosis of delusional disorder, At the second examination, Kurt was more cooperative. Chapman admitted Kurt did not specify any incidents close in time to March 22, 2002, when Kurt felt that he had been followed, maligned, or harassed. The only incident Chapman recorded involved a time when police officers stopped alongside the road to harass Kurt's children, and that occurred well over 20 years before. Chapman did not ask Kurt about any of the facts surrounding the murders themselves, including um, why he shot Deputy Stryker and the Giesenhagens. Chapman asked Kurt why he went over to the Giesenhagens and broke into their home if he wasn't in mortal fear of his life. Chapman responded that Kurt was in mortal fear when the officer was there, but then added that Kurt did not tell him that he merely assumed it from the clinical evidence. Chapman further stated that he was unsure as to whether Kurt was actually in fear of the Giesenhagen's. Chapman admitted that he did not ask Kurt why he went over to the Giesenhagen home and initiated his aggressive Aggressive. action. I just, it's hard for me
0: to think. I mean, again, I am not in any way a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. But... If you're trying to determine his frame of mind when he did these things, why wouldn't you ask him why he did these things? Yeah, that would... I'm just... I'm curious. It's like, did they not have enough times to visit him? Because you'd think you could build up your frame of reference by starting with things that wouldn't make him unhappy so he couldn't visit again. Right. But like plan the one where you're going to piss him off, if you will.
1: Right. I don't know.
0: Maybe... Again, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. But I do watch people's behaviors a lot and that just really I don't understand.
1: They didn't seem very thorough Thorough.
0: Yeah. And these were his psychiatrists. Right. The one that the defense put on.
1: It's not until we get to the next guy that we get into that. But anyhow. So finally, Chapman testified that Kurt did not meet the criteria for antisocial personality disorder. He acknowledged that the criteria for that disorder required a pervasive pattern of disregarding the rights of others occurring from the age of 15, as indicated by three or more of the following. One, failure to conform to social norms with respect to lawful behaviors, as indicated by repeated performing acts that are grounds for arrest. 2. Deceitfulness as indicated by repeated lying, using aliases, or conning others for personal profit or pleasure. 3. Impulsivity or failure to plan ahead. 4. Irritability and aggressiveness as indicated by repeated physical fights or assaults. 5. Reckless disregard for the safety of self or others. 6. Um, consistent irresponsibility as indicated by repeated failure to sustain work behavior or honor financial obligations; seven lack of remorse as indicated by being indifferent or to or rationalizing having hurt, mistreated, stolen from another. Chapman, however, did not believe that Kurt met any of these seven criteria. I kinda think he did I'd meet go over, some. Yeah. But... I go over
0: this in the next one. Okay. Remind me that I didn't have six, but I now believe six. Okay. <laughs> As okay. in number six. Yeah, yeah. We'll go over this in the next little Okay. Uh, not so fun facts. <laughs> these are definitely more let's review the what these things mean right. and I try to, you know, overlay them on what we understand of this guy.
1: Um, the state called psychiatrist Andrew and this name again, Kolkowski, Kolekowski. who was appointed by the court to examine Kurt as his sanit- as, as to Kolekowski. his sanity at the time of the murders. Dr. Kolkowski believed that Kurt was exhibiting malingering amnesia. And claiming to not recall the events that occurred on the night of the murders. Although he did state it in but he, talking to people. Yeah. Like at the nurses. and
0: Yeah. I didn't even touch this one because there's so much to talk about with regard to the antisocial behavior and other stuff. But you're like, does he? Does he though? Yeah, uh, I don't. I mean, because he talked. He gave um, an account of what he said happened at his house with yeah. the deputy. Which couldn't po- I. Okay, could possibly have happened that way, but I certainly don't believe so, given the timing of what the neighbor said.
1: Yeah, I just don't think that the the amnesia thing fits. I mean, uh, malingering amnesia is the intentional production of false or grossly exaggerated physical or psychological symptoms to avoid prosecution. Okay, kind (laughs) of. Okay, I just don't like that.
0: Why why do they use the word amnesia? I don't know. Because he's not... He's not misremembering. He's coming up with his. He's not not remembering at all. Yeah. He's coming up with his own story. Who knows? Okay.
1: Terms they suck. Kowalski <laughs> noted that Kurt's long and short term memory was intact, pointing out that Kurt had told a hospital nurse that he had shot the bitch in the hand so she would have a remainder reminder for the next twenty or thirty years. She must have bled to death. Didn't know how to make a tourniquet. It's just that that. Mean. that Oh, how just awful. Kurt recounted to Kolakalsky that he had problems with other neighbors as well. James Rice and his roommate lived in a rented house next door. According to Kurt, they had disturbed him by spinning donuts in the road and shooting out street lights. I don't think they actually shot out but street, street lights, lights. That's an that's interesting That's not one that, one. well,
0: the other guy didn't uh, he
1: come shot up with that. He said he rockets. shot bottle rockets. If uh, he happened to hit a street light, cool. Dr. Kolkowski found that. No evidence of delusions, fixed false beliefs, or misinterpretation of external reality. Accordingly, Koakalski did not believe that Kurt had any delusional disorder. He diagnosed Kurt as having paranoid personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. He concluded that Kurt was not insane at the time he committed the murders.
0: Yeah, and this goes into the another piece I cut after... I mean, we can, uh, chances are we're going to be able to re- review this stuff in another case. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that distinction between disorders that are considered um, a delusional disorder and therefore he can't be found guilty versus disorders that, okay, maybe he feels like he's being um, uh, taken out or you know, people are trying to take him out and stuff, but he still knows that what he did was wrong. So mm-hmm. he can
1: still be tried and found guilty. Judy Preston, a dispatcher at the Stark County Jail, testified that in June 2003, she was supervising the facility when Kurt was being held there. In accordance with jail procedures, Judy's job duties included opening all inmate mail and scanning it for contraband or inappropriate remarks. Judy informed Kurt of this procedure. A short time later, Judy opened a letter for Kurt, to um, from Kurt to his wife with words directed to Judy that stated, Look inside, bitch. You still have your fat nose in here. In another writing, Kurt again referred to Judy as a bitch and stated, You still have your fucking nose in here and your fat ass too. When informed that his conduct was inappropriate and could result in some of his male privileges being revoked, Kurt co- told Judy to stick it up her ass lovely guy wow
0: <laughs> well it only gets better mm-hmm. this next paragraph oh my God.
1: robert Wynn, a chief deputy with the stark county sheriff's department testified that his duties included supervising visitation in the jail in june 2005 robert visited uh, or supervised i can't supervised,
0: supervised
1: okay. a visit between kurt and his wife during the visit kurt told his wife that the employees at the jail were all bastards and he should have shot them all kurt then asked about his dog as kurt had been allowed to see the dog on a prior visit when kurt was informed that no animals were allowed in the jail kurt looked at robert and said fuck you Thereafter, Kurt repeatedly refused to flush the toilet in his jail cell, forcing the plumbing modifications to be made to the jail flushing system. Wow. This guy. He's just lovely.
0: He does not respond to being told what to do well
1: (laughs) at all. Mm Mm-hmm. And now we hear a little bit about the other side of Kurt, which is the Dr. Jekyll. That's, Yeah. The,
0: the, the nice side, because Dr. Jekyll was the nice, right? And Mr. Hyde was the evil monster. monster. Monster, Yes.
1: There are people in Toulon, and they do not make themselves loud or visible, who know another side to Kirk Thompson. They speak of a farm boy who lost his father at an early age, who had to work for room and board in grade school, who is bright and well-read, and married a lovely woman to whom he stayed married and with whom he produced three children. They know that Thompson will be remembered in Toulon as a monster. They will say they remember him more than that. Mary Hartley testified that she was a neighbor of Kurt and that she got along fine with him. She attributed this to the fact that she stayed on her side of the road, and did not let Kurt's messy property bother her. Sometimes Kurt glared at her, but other times they were able to talk about Kurt's dog training activities. Kurt was a hard worker, and when her house was damaged by fire, Kurt was the first person to help her, bringing her a meal and letting her use a cell phone and a watch. On another occasion, Kurt brought her a dish at an auction. So then Walter Bass testified that he worked with Kurt from 1988 to 1990, and the two became friends. Walter noted that Kurt ha- was amazingly handy. Kurt helped him on a number of occasions with personal projects and declined to be paid in return. Walter believed that Kurt was honest because on one occasion, Kurt came to his house looking for a way to haul a pony he had promised to give some child for his for his birthday on cross examination walter testified that kurt had never complained to him that they had been he had been harassed conspired against or spied upon michael keller testified that he had known kurt for about seven or eight years they met for coffee on a regular basis and kurt helped him with repairs on michael's property under cross examination michael admitted that kurt held lengthy grudges and that a person who had to walk on eggshells at times around Kurt. Kurt once became angry at Michael because Michael referred to a piece of machinery owned by Kurt as old. Kurt was aware that Kurt... Michael Michael was was aware (laughs) (laughs) that Kurt had killed two persons over a grudge, but he still considered Kurt to be a friend. Barbara Kraklow and Janine Matter testified that Kurt helped them with projects. Janine said that Kurt was good to her and described him as the nicest guy you would ever want to meet. David Thompson, Kurt's son, was also called to testify. David stated that he was 40 years old at the time of the trial and that he had an older brother and sister. He graduated from Bradley University in 1985 and was currently employed by the Illinois Department of Transportation as an engineer. Kurt paid for the college education of each of Kurt's children. David described him, his upbringing as normal, and said that Kurt was a good father who taught him to work hard. David also stated that Kurt spoiled David's daughter Corey with nice gifts. On one occasion, Corey asked Kurt for a pony, and he brought her one on a truck and delivered it to the backyard. David testified that thirteen years ago, he bought kurt a 13 acre farm because kurt also wanted to be a farmer and he loved animals after kurt was fired from his job with the mining company in the mid 1980s it was harder for him to make ends meet and he became frustrated when the work he did for others was not fairly compensated
0: well how are you going to be fairly compensated when you don't ask for payment
1: yeah i don't know i don't know that (laughs) one's just weird Amy Lewis was the final witness called by Kurt. Amy testified that her family owns a farm that is one half mile from Kurt's property. She described Kurt as a good friend. They helped each other with making improvements to their respective properties. (laughs) Kurt also worked for her husband, in her husband's building contractor business as Kurt was a fine carpenter. Amy also noted that she and her family went on a number of camping and fishing trips with Kurt, and they always had a good time with him. Amy stated that she has regularly visited and written to Kurt while he has been in jail, and values his friendship. On cross-examination, Amy testified that there was never anything bizarre about Kurt's actions, and he was always socialized in a normal manner. Yeah, I mean, again, he, you see the side that
0: somebody wants you to see, I guess. Uh, you know, here we go back into the personality disorder discussions. <laughs> so as you can see from all this testimony, there were numerous specialists brought in and people had different views of him. And so he, there were two defense uh, specialists and one um, for the prosecution, and, you know, the various people who testified for either the prosecution or the defense had differing views of him. Um, as we said earlier, Dr. Chapman had concluded that Kurt suffered from delusional disorder, persecutory type. Um, he rejected the diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder because he didn't feel that Kurt met the criteria. Um uh, antisocial personality disorder is sometimes co- called sociopathy. So, so calling somebody a sociopath um, is basically antisocial per- personality disorder. It's it is a mental disorder in which a person consistently shows no regard for right and wrong and ignores the rights and feelings of others. Mm-hmm. As you had stated earlier, the antisocial personality disorder requires a pervasive pattern of disregarding the rights of others, which requires three of the following seven behaviors. One is the failure to conform to social norms with respect to lawful behaviors, repeatedly performing acts that are the grounds for arrest, deceitfulness, repeated lying, using aliases, or conning others for personal profit or pleasure. This is one we didn't really see at all. First one, I'd say we saw um, impulsivity or failure to plan ahead Irritability and aggressiveness Repeated uh, physical fights Or assaults yeah. yeah, Reckless disregard for the safety of self Or others mm. Consistent irresponsibility Repeated failure to uh, sustain work behavior or Honor or financial obligations And the lack of remorse so
1: kind of kind of yeah i see a lot
0: of those and i actually put it at the bottom i say what do you all think (laughs) but anyhow we'll get there um and dr kolkowski diagnosed kurt as just having paranoid personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder um which again goes to those the, the antisocial personality disorder is the one that the other ones say he doesn't have anyhow um so yeah (laughs) Keep on going with this. I did talk about paranoid before. So we'll just keep on going with this for just a minute. Sorry. It was one of those. I was trying to split these up in a way that made sense. Um... Yeah, and Dr. Kowalkowski said he wasn't insane at the time when he committed the murders. He just had personality disorders. And that whole paranoid personality disorder, another way they look at it as a group of conditions called eccentric personality disorders. Um and as we said before, some people with PPD or paranoid personality disorder suffer from paranoia, of unrelenting mistrust and suspicion of others when they're even when there's no reason to be suspicious. So, um Yeah, we we talked about all that. So back to this, the the seven, if you will. I'm sitting here going, it's quite obvious. There's, um, he has different ways of dealing with different people. And I totally don't agree that he doesn't fit antisocial personality disorder. I mean, that he left school in 10th grade. We don't know exactly why, because he seemed to be very smart. Right. Typically, when somebody leaves early... And they're not a female who's pregnant and having kids. It's some sort of
1: behavioral issue. Right.
0: And there's just not. And think about when he was growing up. You're talking uh, the 60s, 70s. They might have just been like. They didn't really talk about it like they talk about these things now. Right. There wouldn't have been. There weren't a lot of strong requirements to remain in school. Mm -hmm. So back to those six. I totally think that he c- I can come up with three or more. And I actually added more since I wrote this earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> I think he totally failures to conform to social norms with respect to lawful behaviors. Agreed. I mean, come on. Let, let pref- I mean, the- repeatedly performing acts uh,
1: uh, that are the grounds for arrest. Well, and it seemed like the police were kind of afraid of him. I he mean, would have been he- arrested. Yeah.
0: He had uh, restraining orders and he thumbed his nose at them. Right. When I watched this on the on that show, the Fear oh, Night yeah. the neighbor show, it's like he's got he's not supposed to be anywhere near them, mm-hmm. but they've got video of him driving back and forth down the alley, which yes. is in violation. So he totally was violating and going, "Ha ha, they're not gonna arrest me." Yeah um so and let's see what was two again deceitfulness we we don't really have anything where they said he lied used aliases or conned others no for personal profit and it doesn't seem
1: like he did do that right at all so that's probably a no 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 impulsivity or
0: failure to plan ahead Mm. he may have been impulsive with his responses but i don't know about the failure to plan ahead thing we just don't have it yeah there don't know Hmm. Let's look at four irritability and aggressiveness. Yes, like hello. <laughs> uh, yeah, he totally did that. And sometimes he he did a lot more puff up about physical fights than mm-hmm. actually doing them. But he ran a guy off a road before. So I'm sorry. That's that's assault when you use your vehicle, which is much larger than you. Yes, to cause harm to another. Let's look at 5 reckless disregard for the safety of self or others. Uh yes, running people off the
1: road. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, following people at this... night. I watched that Fear the Neighbor thing too and yeah. like he the the mother and daughter, the the Giesenhagens, they were about to cross the street and, and he, he almost it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he like she, she had to pull her daughter back. and They I mean, lived, I think it was two or three blocks from school. Yeah. I walked
0: a mile to school around the <laughs> same period of time. No big deal. I actually, I literally, if I lived across the street, like across, across Division Street, I would go to a different school district. Mm-hmm. And If I lived across the next street over, I would get on a bus. Yeah. So kids who didn't leave, live a block from me. Because I was, I was one house down from that next street. Right. Got the bus and I didn't. So, yeah, you don't just take your kids to school. But they felt right. so scared for their daughter. They drove her to and from school and took different routes like they were, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. like a spy movie where you have to
1: stay away from people. Right. Yeah. And the mother, if she didn't drive her, she would walk her. I mean, it's just, yeah. you can it, see that the Gies and Higgins were very... Very much in fear. Yeah, and they were trying to avoid him. They were trying, but... You can't avoid somebody who's on top of you. And, yeah, I can totally hear
0: some people saying, well, why didn't they move? You can't always move. You can't afford to, necessarily. Yeah, it's... It's especially really hard. when you're in a small town like that that is so inexpensive to live in mm-hmm. if you're living there rather than somebody somewhere else you either are tied to the land mm-hmm. and it's hard to move from land that your family has owned for generations. Right. Which their his mother lived on the land her second or third great grandfather purchased yeah. and they lived across the alley from her. Right. And that would be their person to watch their daughter when they both needed to work, you know. <sighs> Top yep. care even cost a decent penny back then, right? So, and you think about, yeah, and in, and also, it may seem like a drop in the bucket for me to get a U-Haul <laughs> <laughs> because I, you know, make significantly more than I would work would if I lived in Kiwanee, Illinois, or yeah. Toulon. Anyhow,
1: yeah, you, the there's not a lot of job opportunity, and no. you're usually manual labor. labor that's and- and yeah. that doesn't pay a ton, especially when you live in that area. Right. It's very hard for people to get out if they want to move. It's right. You very have hard. to. Yeah.
0: You have to have something like the military is how I got out. Yeah.
1: I, but just got lucky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. and And seriously, I mean, when you're talking about houses that cost less than cars, my mother sold the house I grew up in for less money than I bought my. Subaru Impreza for in two thousand one. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, Yeah, yeah, it was uh yeah, twenty five thousand dollars for my car. My mom sold my house for under twenty. Yeah. So there you go. Anyhow. And let's see where are we are. <laughs> so let's see. I think uh, uh, we did the reckless disregard, yeah. and so consistent irresponsibility, repeated failure to sustain work behavior or honor financial obligations. Well,
1: we know he didn't do the financial obligations because
0: yeah. he was not paying for the fines. He, knew, he was only supposed to pay fifteen bucks. I had um, kind of sort of forgotten about that piece, also. Yeah he got fired from his job how many times nine there you go nine so i'm like "Mm." yeah i think that's and lack of remorse Uh. oh why didn't she just make herself a termiket she would have lived or Uh the kid could have just shut her eyes yeah i'm sorry i think he meets almost all of those i yeah i agree I think the only one that there, there's the we aren't sure about the deceitfulness one and the impulsivity one. You're like, "Eh." yeah. So out of seven, I say we easily have five with this guy. Yeah. Easily. Agreed. So anyhow. (sighs) So So. what do you guys think? I'm I'm personally (laughs) like, what do you guys think? I mean, do you think he had any of the other disorders? Should he have been deemed legally insane? But the personality disorders don't equal insanity correct but anyhow it's just one of those uh, i i think i could delve into the personality disorders and insanity for like hours and
1: i know we're at an hour now yes we are (laughs) so to round this out Kurt Thompson was convicted of three counts of first degree murder for killing three persons. Kurt was also convicted of one count of home invasion, two counts of attempted first degree murder, three counts of aggravated discharge of a firearm, one count of disarming a police officer, and one count of criminal damage to property. Kurt Thompson thereafter waived his rights to a jury at sentencing. Um, he was, uh, sentenced to death for three factors. Kurt had murdered a police officer, he had murdered two or more persons, and two of the murders had occurred during the course of a home invasion.
0: There you
1: go. So, the trial Kurt Court also sends Kurt to terms of imprisonment of 50 years on each of the attempted murder convictions, 30 years for the home invasion, 15 years for aggravated discharge of a firearm, and three years for criminal damage to a property.
0: Ramming the truck. <laughs> All
1: sentences to run concurrently. The court did not impose sentence on two of the aggravated discharge of a firearm count, finding that it was precluded from doing so by the one act one crime role
0: yeah if you murder somebody by discharging the firearm i guess you don't get that
1: other act so in 2006 the death penalty was appealed the trial court acknowledged the evidence offered in mitigation showed kurt's talents good deeds and capacity for normal friendships his childhood and his concern for family the court however found that the mitigation was outweighed by the overwhelming evidence and aggravation, specifically evidence of Kurt's criminal intent, violent revenge, and hatred of people and authority, threats, and Im- intimidation of citizens of the community, and the apparent belief that Kurt, with a sawed-off shotgun in hand, was has the right to determine that those who sue him for, or disagree with him or whose duty it is to arrest him shall die. Finally, the court looked for any evidence of remorse, no matter how remote, but was unable to, unable to find any.
0: Imagine that.
1: Instead, the court found that Kurt's comments, character, and attitude suggested that if given the opportunity, Kurt would again kill for whatever unjustified purpose he determined. Just like he told that one nurse, if I, mm-hmm. when I get out of here, they're going to get it. For the foregoing reasons, the judgment of the Circuit, count, circuit Court of Stark County is affirmed. Um, basically, they just agreed and then they said that he shall be executed in the manner provided by law. Um, so he was, they basically said, nope, you still get the death penalty. Um, Kurt's wife, Virginia, died. June 4th, 2008, from cancer. Two days later, Kurt Thompson committed suicide. So, yeah. (sighs) Yeah,
0: couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Yeah. I mean, suicide is terrible, but... Yeah. This guy, well, yeah. He just... He was... He was sentenced to death anyway. I guess he just did it on his own terms.
1: Yeah, and I think... I I do think that he loved his wife very yeah. much. It seemed like she was his childhood sweetheart. They got married very young. They had three children together. I think. And if you survive that long in love with somebody. I mean that's yeah. a really long time to be together.
0: And she. She was his
1: rock. Yeah. And with her being gone. I think. He lost his will to yeah. live. And he was going to be put to death. So. Yep. Um. So. After that. January 2018, two men were honored at a dedication ceremony in Annawan and would not be in attendance. Deputy Adam Stryker was one of the men. The tribute was designated the Illinois Route 78 overpass over Interstate 80 at Annawan as the Deputy Adam Stryker Trooper Chad Wolf Memorial overpass. And I meant to look up Chad Wolf to see why he, but i yeah, kind of forgot. And we so. are already over time. <laughs> yeah. So. But, um, because we do try to make these all an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, but two officers lost their lives while serving their communities. I think it was very nice that he got that memorial. I mean, it was,
0: it was so obvious that that's what he wanted to do his whole life was yeah. serve. He was a volunteer firefighter, he'd been in all- Boy Scouts, uh, junior police,
1: mm-hmm. everything.
0: Yeah. And he really cared about law and order, making sure that people
1: did what they were supposed to to be part of the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was definitely a huge loss to yeah. them. And it's very sad. I mean, <sighs> uh, well, we just got a <laughs> nice pot. The dirt. Hello. Are you done yet? Yes. Come on, people. <laughs> So, We're almost there. Thank you for listening to Nothing Happens in a Small Town, where things do happen, and small towns are not the quite quaint places you think they are. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh uh-uh. uh. Thanks, Kurt, for being a bully. <laughs> yeah, good gracious. <laughs> so, if you would like to donate to help keep us going (laughs) (laughs) our patreon page is www.patreon.com slash nothing happens in a small town instagram is nothing happens in a small town twitter username is nothing happens in a small town at n-h-i-a-s-t Facebook page is Nothing, Nothing Happens in a small, small Town at NHIAST 2021. And our Gmail is Nothing Happens in a Small Town at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening. Yay. Bye.
0: Bye.